What a good time just to, to be together, to stand shoulder to shoulder, to kind of take a breath uh, and to worship God this morning. Unbelievably, I don't know if you guys also feel this way, but it's like almost Thanksgiving already, and uh, we are in the last week, we're in the eighth week, eighth and final week of uh, the fall experience, the series that we've been digging into as we've been looking at what uh, it looks like to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Throughout this series, we've been hearing uh, a lot of cool stuff about the impact that this series has had on our church family, and I'm sure that if we gave uh, each of you a moment this morning to share something that you've learned or that's impacted you or something that God has done uh, either in you or through you through this series, that we could be here all day uh, getting to kind of bask in uh, the collective wisdom and the collective work of God uh, throughout the last eight weeks. Uh, But we thought we would start out today uh, with one such story just to encourage and to inspire you as you get ready to dig into the last week of this series. And so you're about to watch uh, the story of John and Lauren Roy, who just happen to be uh, part of my family. Uh, Lauren is my wife's sister and Pastor Ron's daughter. Uh, But their story stems from the week where we learned about praying for one another, and it gives us a tangible example of what God can do when we love one another in that way. So celebrate their story with us while Watch it here with me. When John and I first became parents, we knew little about what it meant to raise a child. We felt unequipped and unprepared. But the moment that Grayson entered our world, everything changed. Um, Our love for this little boy had drowned out any insecurities or doubt that we might have had. Grayson was our precious gift, and we knew that from day one. Grayson was always a vibrant, passionate, little boy. He was the baby that you knew you were going to have your hands full in the first five minutes of being with him. He was always wanting to touch, taste, feel life around him. It wasn't until about his first birthday though that I realized that um, his demeanor just started to change and at around 18 months he wasn't talking much at all. He was vocal, making all types of sounds, but he wasn't saying any words and he would never repeat anything if you asked him to. And so I started to get concerned At around two, um, we started to seek out some advice from friends and family members, and it was brought to our attention that we should probably look a little bit further and dig a little bit deeper. So at two and a half, we took Grayson to the developmental pediatrician, and we heard the words that we feared so much that would be our outcome. Grayson was diagnosed with autism. So we spent the next few months just working. We got to work with Grayson. Um, I put him in therapies. We changed his diet. We were just constantly working to help him, doing everything we could. I always say that since becoming a mom, I've never been closer to God because there is no way that I could mom without him. I pray for my children daily, but it wasn't until a particular Sunday that I so intimately felt God nudging me that he was in this. And it was that, it was a Sunday that we had gone to church and we were in the Love One Another series and Rick spoke on the power of prayer, but specifically the power of prayer and healing. And he had given us the opportunity in that service to pray with an elder. And I knew at that moment that John and I needed to spend a couple of quiet moments in prayer. As we were getting up from our seats, the song, I Need Lord, I Need You by Matt Marr came on. and. It was such a great sign. This has been my theme song to motherhood. And I often go to this song when I feel out of control. 
but God reminds me that he's in it. So John and I spent the next few minutes just praying with Andy Bits, and we specifically asked him to pray healing over Grayson. It was a powerful service, to say the least, and I left feeling emotionally exhausted, but as soon as we got in the car, I told John that I knew we needed to spend some time that evening away from all distractions, just praying over Grayson, praying specifically for healing over him. We got home that night and we prayed for God to do the impossible. We prayed for him to move mountains and we prayed in a way that we had never had over Grayson. I woke up the next morning feeling confident that God had heard us. I admit, I was, waking, I was waiting for Grayson to wake up a brand new boy. But that didn't happen. He woke up that morning in a bit of a fog and instead of the words that I so longed to hear come out of his mouth, I heard more of disarming screams and the loud shatter of a vase that he had threw off the table. I spent the next few moments cleaning up the millions of tiny pieces of broken glass, but I couldn't help but feel as though I was the broken one. I felt lifeless and defeated, and though God had not heard me or that he wasn't going to answer these prayers on my time. But still I felt this burning desire that God was still in this. So I went and sought out a couple of friends and asked them to just pray. John did the same. And before we knew it, we had just a handful of prayer warriors on our side. So the week had passed and we were anxiously waiting for daddy to come home one Friday night. And we sat down to dinner and asked Grayson to start communicating with us his needs through sign language as that was his way of communicating with us up until this point. But that night, he didn't sign. That night, words started coming out of his mouth. More, please, mama, dada. John and I almost fell off our chairs in disbelief. We had waited years to hear these words come out of his mouth. And all of a sudden, he just couldn't stop talking. God showed up that very night. He moved mountains. He made miracles happen. And up until that point, I felt as though I'd never worked so hard for something and seen such little change. I was reminded on that day that God is bigger than any battle that I will face on earth. God loves my child more than I am ever capable of loving him. I was reminded that God can do amazing, unexplainable, wonderful things when we come together and pray. Life isn't easy, yet there's so much to be grateful for. I was reminded of one of my favorite quotes that I still live by today. You were assigned this mountain to show others that it can be moved. Every day we get out there and we try again. And sometimes we fail and sometimes we shine. And on those moments when we shine, I am often reminded that God is not only in this journey, He's leading it. Ooh. A little unfair to ask a stage crier to, <laughs> to talk after someone in his family shares a story like that, but uh, thank you guys for sharing your story. Uh, and thanks God for demonstrating the power of, of praying for one another. Yeah, beautiful story. All right, Whew, deep breath, here we go, moving on. <laughs> so we're going to jump into the last week of this series together, 
going to look at our last one, another command, and that is the command of igniting one another. And if you're like me, when you think uh, or maybe hear the word ignite, the first thing that probably pops into your head is fire. (laughs) And uh, maybe the second thing that pops into your head is uh, a story of ignition gone wrong. Now, if you don't know me very well, uh, I'm a pretty cautious person. I'm pretty far on the caution end of the spectrum. Uh, So I I can't really think of a a bad ignition story uh, in my life other than like maybe being way too careful when I'm trying to start fires that I can't actually get the fire to start. Um, But uh, I did think immediately uh, of one of my favorite uh, Brian Regan comedy bits. Anybody here familiar with Brian Regan? He's a pretty clean uh, comedian. Uh, who points out funny stuff that happens in everyday life, Uh, but he also makes fun of himself pretty significantly, which is uh, pretty hilarious. Uh, And one of the times that he makes fun of himself is a story of ignition gone bad, and so I wanted you to listen to this story now as we get rolling here today. I don't know. Everything's going away. I don't hear very well anymore, but that's my own fault. I had firecrackers blow off in my ear on 4th of July a couple years ago. Pretty stupid. Um, not in my ear. Wasn't. <laughs> Just realized what that sounded like. Okay. Hey, light it. See what happens. You never know till you try. Come on. Let's see what happens. It wasn't quite that stupid. It was pretty close to that stupid. I don't know why I'm defending. I'm not that dumb. It blew blew up here, not in in there. You imagine firecracker blowing up in your ear? No, this is like an inch away from my ear. Anyway, I was gonna throw a firecracker, true story. I looked at it and I was like, well, that's silly to just throw one at a time. They bundle them all together, get the whole thing moving. Good lesson for the kids. Watch what daddy's attempting. (laughs) I told my friend, I said, you light them, and when they're lit, yell now, and I'll throw them. So I was like this, and I hear, okay. (laughs) I didn't hear now. And I didn't hear anything for about six months. All right, Brian Regan, story of ignition gone bad. You know, we probably all have a story uh, of ignition, uh, when ignition kind of worked against us in our life. Uh, But this principle of ignition can also work in our favor when we use it the right way. Because just as every fire or every firecracker needs an ignition that creates a spark, it needs a flicker that can be fanned into flame, each of us have the opportunity to be ignited by others or to help ignite others in their faith through love and motivation. Just as one small spark can turn into a powerful fire, one small word of encouragement or motivation for another person can bring about a powerful and positive movement in their life. And so that's the principle that we're going to look at today, that one more way for us to love well is to motivate one another to love and good deeds. Our key verses today are from the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, and I want to give you a little bit of the context of where these verses come from. 
So Hebrews is a book that is actually uh, an anonymous letter that is written um, to the Hebrew believers, and it's widely accepted. It was probably Paul or Barnabas who wrote this letter, uh, but they didn't sign their name at the end, so we don't really know. But regardless of the author, uh, the general overview of the book is that it was written to encourage this group of Christians uh, to stay on the journey. Many of these believers uh, in those days were undergoing intense persecution um, because they followed Jesus, because they were associated with Jesus. And so this temptation existed for them uh, to revert back to Judaism, to basically kind of disown Jesus and the atoning work uh, that he did for them on the cross so that their lives would be easier again. And so kind of to push against that, the author spends about the first two-thirds of this book pointing back to Jesus, reminding these believers of who Jesus was, of why he came, and of why this covenant that Jesus ushered in, basically his sacrifice once and for all to cover all of our sins, was way better than the old covenant. Basically this system uh, where uh, they constantly had to bring sacrifices and provide sacrifices to atone for their sins. So that's how the book starts, but then it turns, the last third of the book, starting in Hebrews 10, 19, uh, the author starts to turn towards this focus on the importance of faith. And the title above the section of Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19, is A Call to Persevere in Faith. And I love that that section uh, is where our passage comes from today. Because I think about this fall, I think about all that we've learned in this series, about what it looks like for us to love one another well. Uh, I think God has taught us a lot, and so now we just need to implement it. We need to stay on the course, Uh, we need to persevere, and we need to learn to live this stuff out. The author starts this section on perseverance in Hebrews 10 um, by encouraging each believer, kind of more personally, to draw near to God in faith and to hold unswervingly to hope. And so he starts it personal, but then he brings it corporate in verses 24 and 25, and those are the verses that we're going to focus on today. They say this, verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, it's interesting to note that these two verses uh, in this translation, the New Living Translation, they're broken out into two separate sentences. But in many translations of the Bible, they're all together as one longer sentence. And that's because these two verses together are meant to form kind of one overall overarching thought. That's similar to the passage that Pastor Rick guided us through last week. They're a Hebrew couplet, and so they're verses that are meant to be understood together. That what we're prompted to do in verse 24, it can't happen outside of the context of what verse 25 says. So keep that in mind as we begin to unpack this passage in a few minutes. You know, through this series, we've covered a lot of these valuable one another commands. Uh, Commands that Jerry Sitzer, the author of the book Love One Another, our series resource, uh, these are commands that he has called mutuality commands. In other words, he says, when we determine to love one another well um, by praying for one another or by caring for one another, by encouraging each other, um, it means that we are mutually working at and we are mutually benefiting from these commands. But this one, this ignite uh, or motivate, uh, other translations say stir up or spur on, uh, whatever translation you look at, this command is what Sitzer calls a confrontational command. Sometimes he says in his book, there is a resistance to Christ that must be overcome. 
a resistance that requires the difficult and risky work of confrontation. I have two kinds of resistance in mind, he says. The first is willful and rebellious. The second kind of resistance is more unintentional. It may be the more deadly of the two simply because we are unaware of it, like death by gradual poisoning. Now, though there may be some of us here today uh, who are willfully resisting God, uh, my guess is that because you are here today in church, that the likelihood is that there's probably many more of us here today who are kind of experiencing that slow, unintentional drift. It's like that last song that we sang, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. It's not that we've willfully walked away from God as much as it is that we've been kind of slowly drifting away from God for long enough that we've kind of become slightly disillusioned and we're having a hard time seeing our way back. And that's where this confrontational command from another believer can do us good. You've probably heard the scientific statement before that an object at rest will stay at rest unless an outside force acts upon it. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, that we are commanded uh, to love one another by being that force in each other's lives, by being the kind of friend that ignites another, helping them to get back on track, helping them to get refocused again on their journey with Jesus. So let's start walking through these verses. Uh, If you haven't pulled your outline out already, you can pull that out. Now, fair warning today, it's weird, the outline has no blanks. The outline has no points even today. We're really going crazy here. Uh, But no, don't be thrown off. We do have some stuff there for you to hold on to and plenty of place for you to take notes uh, if that helps you to process what God's speaking to you today. But before we dig into that, let's pray. Let's ask God uh, to lead us this morning. God, uh, this morning as we sit to focus on your word, uh, we breathe out worries, we breathe out distractions, Uh, We breathe in your love. We breathe in your presence. And so we humbly ask that you would guide us today through your word. We believe that the words of scripture are words that you inspired, and so we hold them up today in high regard. So teach us from those words. Give us knowledge, not just for the sake of knowledge, but for the sake of obedience. God, as we read and as we learn, spur us on to carry out the commands that you give us for what it looks like to love well. Thank you for loving us so well, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so back to the passage here, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let me read it again for us. It says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so this passage is kind of the trail that we're walking on today, so to speak. Uh, But the first signpost, the first place that I want us to kind of stop and observe uh, is at the word think. Would you underline the word think in that passage? Now I want us to think uh, for a minute about why the author may have chose to start the sentence this way. I mean, he could have simply said, motivate one another to acts of love and good works, but instead, he prompts us to think of ways to motivate one another. And this think word to me indicates that there's this sense of intentionality here that we are being called to exhibit. Now, I think we could probably argue, and rightfully so, that intentionality is needed in every arena of our life. But I think where uh, intentionality is supremely needed is when we're called to do things that are not our default, right? Like, I don't need intentionality to eat junk food. Anybody else? 
That comes pretty naturally to me, right? But I do need intentionality to eat well. Like eating peanut butter tasty cakes comes totally naturally to me. (laughs) Eating carrots and hummus, eh, not quite as much, right? I have to be a little bit more intentional about that. But I think Paul or Barnabas here, whoever the author is, is recognizing that this motivating each other, this igniting each other thing, it's not natural for all of us. It doesn't always come easy, and so we need to be intentional. The Greek word for uh, the word think, the Greek is the original language here of this passage, the Greek word here uh, means imagination towards action. Imagination leading to action. If you think about that, if you think of kind of dreaming up a dream and then getting it to the point that you can act upon it, that's not something that is done haphazardly, right? That's something that's well thought out, well uh, planned, well carried out. So he says to think of ways, notice it's plural, there's not just one way, there's multiple ways, think of ways to motivate each other. Go ahead and underline that word, motivate. A few synonyms for the word motivate, you might want to write some of these down, are inspire, provoke, encourage, and influence. Inspire, provoke, encourage, and influence. These are strong action words, right, that help take a person from where they are to where they could be, or maybe from where they are to where they need to be. These words speak to utilizing the relational capital that God has given us with a person to motivate them to take a next step or to take a leap of faith. Now, motivation can look different for each of us, right? I think that's what makes motivating other people so difficult. If you just even think about the members of your family and what motivates them, it's probably different for each person. My seven-year-old right now, he is motivated by anything Mario. Any video game he can play that Mario is in, that will get him to do whatever it is that we need him to do. Our two-year-old, anything about basketball. Basketball, basketball, basketball. He loves basketball right now. For me, anytime I hear the word bacon, I am motivated, right? (laughs) Especially like if that bacon is wrapped around something, like a scallop, right? But regardless of what does it for you, I think we can all agree that we are most often motivated when we can see the benefit that that action will have for us or for someone else. Let me say that again, that we are most often motivated to act when we can see that our action will benefit us or will benefit someone else. So what will benefit us, what will benefit others, that's the second half of this verse. The author says, motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It says these acts will benefit the one who is being served, but they will also benefit the one who is serving. See, there's this thing, God, this thing that God does, this really cool thing, when we serve someone else in love. When we get outside of ourselves, when we take our focus off of ourselves and help someone else feel loved and cared for. Maybe you've experienced a season in your life where you kind of feel like you're stuck in a rut. Maybe a season where you've kind of been caught in this like, woe is me cycle a little bit. Or this season where you felt mired in disappointment or in hurt. Now, when we find ourselves in those seasons, our default thinking is that like, hey, the way for me to get out of this would be if someone else would just come in, if they would care for me, if they would serve me, then I would be able to break out of this rut, right? But based on my experience and on witnessing the experiences of others, it's shown me that more often than not, it's serving others and loving others that helps us to break free from that stuck and hurting place. It's kind of counterintuitive. 
Missions trips are an incredible example of this. Like, we don't go on a missions trip to serve ourselves. We go to serve and to bless others. But what we don't realize is that as we're serving and blessing others, that God blesses us immensely as well. See, God has this uncanny way of meeting our needs when we meet the needs of other people. That's why he tells us here that one of the best ways that we can love another person is to motivate them to carry out acts of love and good deeds for others because it will meet the needs of the people that they serve, but it will also fill their tank as well. So we've hit on verse 24 a little bit, this thinking of ways uh, to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Uh, But let's dive into verse 25 now uh, to explore that a little bit. So verse 25, you can follow along in your outline or on the screen. Verse 25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So verse 25, let us not neglect meeting together. And so I guess the first natural question here is, who is the us that the author is referring to? Well, in him writing us, he meant himself and the body of believers. So the us is the family of God. It's our spiritual family. The author is saying that it is crucial for us to meet together or to gather together. He says, don't neglect meeting together. Go ahead, underline that word, neglect. One definition of the word neglect, you might want to write this down, uh, is to omit through indifference or carelessness. One definition of neglect is to omit through indifference or carelessness. That indifference word kind of speaks to that slow fade, that unintentional drifting away from God that Sitzer mentioned in his book. That when we uh, ignore or when we're indifferent to gathering together to do life, to share faith with each other, um, that we are putting ourselves in danger of slowly drifting away from God. That careless word stands out to me a little bit too, especially in the context of this verse uh, that talks about encouraging each other. You might remember a few weeks ago uh, when we talked about uh, encourage one another, that command, uh, we used this analogy from Sitzer's book that encouragement is kind of like preventative maintenance for your car. And so taken in this context, it's saying that just as it is careless and dangerous uh, to not service your car through preventative maintenance, that it's equally careless and dangerous to not service your soul through regular meeting and through regular encouragement with and to other believers. So it says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. The author says, hey, from a distance, I've seen it, I've heard from other people, some of you are neglecting meeting together, and it's not helping you. (laughs) In fact, it's making you more susceptible to straying away from the faith. It's making you susceptible to like disowning Jesus and to saying, no, it it must not be this work of Jesus that really is going to bring about my salvation, otherwise life wouldn't be this hard. He says, no, don't neglect meeting together, but meet together regularly. You need to encourage one another. You need to keep each other focused on the journey. I love the explanation uh, of this verse in one of the commentaries that I checked out this week. It said this, it said, The meaning here, based on the words used in the original Greek, is that you ought not only to frequent the synagogue, the public house of worship, which you willingly do, But you also ought to meet privately with believers as well, as it said in Acts 2, uh, that you should gather in homes with other believers. 
And so in daybreak language here, uh, this commentary is saying, let's not just show up on Sundays to celebrate God's grace. That's easy enough to do, and it does make an impact in our lives, but let's also show up in each other's lives when it's harder, (laughs) in each other's homes, in groups, to connect with God's family. Now, as the director of Connecting Ministries here at Daybreak and the champion of small group life, uh, this verse, of course, is speaking my language, Um, but why is the text emphasizing this private gathering or this private meeting together of believers? Meaning this public gathering here on a Sunday morning, right, it gives us spiritual relationships, doesn't it? My answer would be that this public gathering, uh, it gives us more spiritual acquaintances, right? It gives us people who we shake hands with, uh, people who we acknowledge during welcome time, or um, people that we pass in the lobby and say, hey, how's it going to? We're getting like our third cup of coffee in the morning, right? (laughs) But what it doesn't give us is true spiritual family. And without meeting together with true spiritual family, we will lack the opportunity to develop something that Pastor Joel used to call called out companions, That's a term that he coined that I absolutely love the sentiment of, that we are called out ones of God, right? We're called out to live this life that honors him, that that reflects him, that points to him, that relies on him, and we're called out to do that with other companions, others who are also on that journey with us. I think there's this sense in this series that a lot of these one another commands that we've dug into, um, we can do with people that we don't really know very well or uh, with people that we just kind of know. Um, But there's some of these one another's, like admonishing one another, like we talked about last week, or this challenging someone else to step up, this motivating them to acts of love and good deeds like we're talking about this week. Some of these one another's happen best in the context of these called out companion type of relationships. See, these type of spiritual relationships, in in these types of relationships, the soil of your friendship, uh, it's fertile enough that you'll have the ability to kind of plant seeds of calling each other out, of calling each other up, and then you'll have them be able to take root in that person's life so that they will sprout, so that they will bear fruit. It's a beautiful type of relationship, and it's the way that God intended us to live. Let's look now at the last piece of verse 25. I love kind of the extra element that this brings into the discussion. Verse 25 says, yes, it says meet together. It says encourage one another. But it says especially because the day of his return is drawing near. This eternal perspective piece of the puzzle is an important one when we look at these two verses. You know, as each day passes, uh, we get closer to our last day here on earth. And Jesus gets closer to the day of his return, right? We can't argue either of those two things. But it's kind of interesting to read something that was written like 2,000 years ago that says, hey, Jesus' return is drawing near, and yet we're here today and we realize like Jesus hasn't returned yet, right? It's kind of confusing. So sometimes something like that could make us question, like, did the Bible get it wrong here? Like, did this guy know what he was talking about when he wrote this? that he was saying that Jesus' return was drawing near and yet um, he isn't back yet? Like, shouldn't he have returned a long time ago? Well, at that point in history, Christ followers were under the impression that, like, Jesus was going to pretty much come right back after he had ascended to heaven. And so by the time this passage was written, it had been nearly 50 years since anyone had seen Jesus. And so they were probably like, listen, guys, it's going to be any day now, right? But from our vantage point here in history knowing that Jesus hasn't returned yet, 
We also can look at the Bible and see that it says that no man knows the day of Jesus' return. We also can look at the Bible and see that there is some indication of what the last days will look like. And if we compare those to the days that we're living in now, we're really not that far off. But so I think what we need to do here as we read this passage is not to read these words literally that like he was returning like right after that passage was written but instead we need to read this passage this verse um, as a challenge to live every day and to help others live every day like it could be our last day here on earth and I'm not sure about you or how often uh, you stop to think about this um, but when Jesus returns or when I go when it's my time to meet Jesus I don't want him to find me unfocused. I don't want him to find me distracted by godless idols or by meaningless pursuits. I want him to find me, as the old song says, staring full in his wonderful face. I want him to find me faithful to the work that he has called me to do. I'm not sure if we have any Ben Rector fans in the room this morning. Ben Rector is a musician. Uh, I love his music. The song special, More Like Love, that we sang way back in the first week of this series is a Ben Rector song. But Ben also has a song called Like the World is Going to End. And it's kind of this contagious, encouraging, but thought-provoking song uh, that focuses on the importance of living with an eternal perspective. And I wanted to share just a few poignant lyrics from that song uh, that this passage reminded me of as I was digging into it this week. The first verse of the song says this. It says, if we found out that the world was going to end on Tuesday morning, what would everybody do? It's funny how the thought of that can make some things real important and a lot of things seem pretty worthless too. He goes on in the bridge and he says, we spend most our lives, we spend almost all our time on things we don't care about, (laughs) on things we could do without. But the tragedy is that we can't see it. We can't see it until time is running out. The end line of the chorus and kind of this refrain that the song keeps pushing to is now that I think about it, maybe we should always live like the world is going to end. It's a great line and it's a great rationale for not neglecting to meet together, to constantly live in a state of readiness by engaging in biblical community, by engaging in relationships with called out companions that will help us to stay focused on how to live for God, on how to honor God, on how to continue to grow in our relationship with God. All right, so we've walked through these two verses separately, but now let's read the passage one more time and kind of look at what the summary is, look at what these verses are trying to tell us as one kind of overall thought. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so the summary here is that as the author is kind of in this section where he is calling believers to persevere, he's saying that in order for us to persevere, we need to be together. We need to encourage each other. We need to challenge each other. We need to call each other up. We need to allow our influence and our relationship with others in Christian community to be what will ignite them to stay the course. We need to let our motivating be what helps them to maintain an eternal focus. 
We need to have our calling them up, help them travel through their ruts, through their stuckness, through their frustration, or through their disappointment, and to turn all of that into love for others. That's what a called-out companion can do in the life of another believer. You know, in this season uh, of transition that we're in at Daybreak, uh, a lot of us have been kind of reflecting that this series could not have come for us at a better time. Because as we process transition, as we process loss, as we process change, we've been reminded in this series of the importance of doing all of that together as a family. And that as we live together as a family, that love is the most important marker of our interaction together. And that that love, our love for each other, that love is what will show the world who God is and that God is alive in us. Now, if we're honest, we take a step back from all of this, we think about loving as Jesus loves, it's not really the easiest thing to do, is it? (laughs) Uh, We also find out that Uh, This life-changing journey, living this life-changing journey with Jesus, it's not the easiest because it's not just us and Jesus all the time. There's all of these outside influences. There's all of these outside circumstances that avail against us. You know, there's a quote, Sitzer also has a quote in his book uh, that says, it should be obvious by now that the Christian life is not a journey for casual weekend strollers. It is more like a strenuous hike in the Rockies. And I love this quote because it's this great acknowledgement that the Christian life is meant to be an adventure. It's meant to be like a climb up a mountain that you're not really sure you're going to be able to pull off, as opposed to like this safe and easy stroll up a small hill where we'll be comfortable and where we can pretty much be assured of our safety at all times. He goes on and phrases it differently later in the chapter when he says, stability and predictability cost us something. The cost, he says, is sameness, blandness, boredom, and sometimes injustice. And so the theme is that we need spiritual family. We each need a called out companion to push us past settling for stability and predictability. We need a hiking buddy, so to speak, that pushes us past the small hills and instead motivates us to climb the big mountains. And not only do they motivate us to climb it, not only do they say, hey guys, you can do this, they say, I'm going to be right there with you. We need that person to admonish us. We need that person to call out the best of us. And guess what? That person needs it from us as well. If there's anything that this series has impressed upon you, I hope that it's this. It's that we need each other. That we were never made to go it alone. That God has designed us to live this life of love in, the relation, in a relationship with other believers. And he gave us this beautiful example in the person of Jesus to show us how to do it. I want you to go ahead now and pull that response card and the sticky note uh, on that response card out of your program guide now. And I want to challenge you as we wrap up this message in this series with who do you need and who needs you? You know, the challenge this week is very similar to the challenge last week because of how important and how foundational we believe it is. And so your sticky note question today, you'll see it in your outline there, but your question is this, it's who is or who should you consider asking to be your called out companion? Who is or who should you consider asking to be your called out companion? 
Now, when you think about answering that question uh, this morning, uh, you probably find yourself in one of a few different camps. Like you might be in a first camp where you have a called out companion and you guys are crushing it. Like you guys are calling each other out, you're calling each other up. And if you're in that camp, what I want you to write on your sticky note this morning is the name of that called out companion. And maybe on your response card today, you just want to write a prayer of thanks to God for helping you develop that type of relationship. Maybe you're in a second camp today where you think you have someone who you've identified as a called out companion, but you need to add more intentionality to your meeting together. You need to push each other to climb those high hills. You need to ask each other the tough questions, to say the tough words to each other in love. And so if that's you today, I want you also to write the name of that person on the sticky note, but maybe on your response card today, you want to ask for prayer from our prayer team to kind of take that step of intentionality in your relationship with that person. Maybe you are in a third camp today and you realize that, hey, I've got like some people that I'm doing life with and we're learning from God's word together. Maybe I'm in a small group uh, with those people, but I've never really taken any of those relationships to the next level. I've never really gone to a called out companion type of place in any of those relationships. And so if that's you on your sticky note today, I'd love for you to prayerfully consider maybe one or two names that you could write down that you could pray about asking to be your called out companion. Maybe for you on your response card today, you kind of want to write down like what is it that motivates you to, to this desire to have a called out companion in your life. And then maybe finally today you're in another camp and you realize that you don't really have Christian community anywhere in your life. This called out companion thing, it might sound great to you, but you feel like you are miles away from having it. And so if that's you today, I want you to think about and to pray about and then to write down on that sticky note today what, what a first step could be in moving in that direction. Maybe it's saying, hey, I need to join a small group. Or maybe it's asking someone whose faith you've admired from a distance for a while if they'd be willing to get together with you regularly over breakfast to just challenge you and to encourage you. Whichever camp you're in, I want to encourage you to take the time to process that this morning, to ask God what he is leading you to do as a next step today. Now before I pray, I want to point back to Lauren and John's story and remind you that prayer is powerful, right? Every week you have the opportunity to both write down prayer requests on your response card, but also to be prayed for or to be prayed over by our prayer partners during our service. And so if you want to take them up on being prayed for, prayed over today at any point during the rest of the service, I want to point out that we have a new prayer room now uh, that you can actually enter from inside the worship center, which is great. So if you look towards the back of the room and the double doors, right to the left of that, you'll see the prayer banner. Pastor Ron is sitting back there right now waving at you. <laughs> Um, but if at any point during the rest of the service uh, you would like to sit with a member of the prayer team to have them encourage you and to pray for you, uh, you can head back and write into that room and they would love uh, to be able to sit with you and do that. All right, let me pray for you now. God, thanks for this series and for all that you've taught us and for the reminder multiple times that life is best lived in the context of a spiritual family. Jesus, as we look at your life in the scripture, thank you for all of the ways that you have modeled for us what it looks like to love one another well. So as we think back through the series, would you help us to love? Would you help us to accept? Would you help us to forgive and pray for 
and encourage and care for and sharpen and ignite one another all out of love. God, when we think about all of these things, give us boldness and give us courage where we're hesitant to move forward. And give us motivation, give us that extra kick when we need it. God, we do desire to go deeper in our love for you and for others. So help us form the type of relationships that we need to both stay on and to grow in our journey with you. Lead us on, Lord. We humbly submit to you and to your work in our lives. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.